you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple of verses here together. And this is kind of um, the launching point, if you will. And then we're going to uh, continue along this line. But here in Philippians, the Apostle Paul gives some instructions to us as believers. And he says in verse 6, he says, Don't worry about anything. He says, Instead, pray about everything. How do you know that you should pray about something? Because you're concerned about it. That means it qualifies for you to pray. If it's, if, it, if it's anything that concerns you at any level, then that's your cue that, hey, I need to pray. If you start to get stressed out about something, you need to pray. Uh, you know, if worry starts to set in, you need to pray. And, uh, you know, so he says, don't worry about anything. Don't stress about anything. Instead, pray about everything. He says, tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Other translations say, come to Him with a heart of thanksgiving. In other words, before we start our list of this is what's wrong, God, I need... Take a moment and remember what God has done. Why? Because God's faithfulness in the past always predicts what He will do now and even in the future. And so that helps us. And He says that if we would do this in verse 7, He says then, so if you'll pray and you'll have a heart of thanksgiving, He says you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. Other translations say that um, peace that passes all understanding. It's not natural. It's so far beyond just our mental capabilities. And so it says that it would far exceed anything that we can understand. It says His peace would guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, he says one final thing. So he tells us, he says, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. And you really, this is the way I would say this, is that you pray until peace comes. How do you know when you can stop praying about something? Once you have settled in peace is in your heart. And he says, so once you get peace in your heart, he says... Uh, do this. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true. So this is what I would say. If you're going to maintain peace, this is how you do it. You know, if you've been in a place of worry and now you've prayed and you've got the peace of God in your heart, this is how you're going to keep your peace is by doing these things. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true. So you can ask yourself the question, are your circumstances true or or is God's word true to you? That's a decision that you have to make. Is my experience true or is God's word truth to me? And so you've got to fix your thoughts, fix your attention upon what is true, on what is honorable, on what is right, on what is pure, and what is lovely and admirable. He says, think about these things uh, that are worthy of praise. He says, keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. It says, everything that you've heard from me and saw me doing. Now, last week, and I'm not going to take time to do this this week, so... Or two weeks ago. Uh, But uh, if you weren't here, you can go back. But I really kind of uh, defined what some of these words mean where it talks about, um, you know, what peace is. And there's some other things. But I'm just going to give you, uh, if it was translated directly from the Greek, like word for word, kind of expounded. So it's kind of like the Amplified, but take the Amplified and amplify it. This is what this verse in verse 7 specifically um, would sound like. And it says, all the peace of God... A peace so wonderful that it cannot be compared to any other type of peace. See, the peace that we're talking about is not like, you know, any other. This is something so far beyond anything natural that we could ever figure out. Or, you know, it's not just being at a peaceful place or getting to a place where, well, my my heart is calm. Like this is an overriding, overwhelming, so far beyond type of peace. It says that uh, it cannot be compared to any other type of peace. A peace that stands in a category by itself and rises far above and goes beyond anything the human mind could ever think, reason, imagine, or produce itself. 
So that's the peace that Paul is talking about here. This is something so far beyond anything natural. And it says that, uh, it goes on, it says that this peace would stand guard at the entrance of your heart and mind, working like a guard to control, monitor, and screen everything that tries to access your mind, heart, and emotions. Now, the Greeks had an understanding, and I shared about this, is that when they're talking about the mind here, when he talks about that the peace of God would guard our mind, that's your mind, your thoughts, your will, and your emotions. It was the seat of authority in your life. So that's what he's speaking to here. So he's saying that you could actually have peace in your life that would actually keep your emotions in check. Keep your thoughts in check. And so, you know, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago about really how we have to guard our thoughts and, and be careful what we allow the enemy to deposit and to remain in our life. You know, Paul told us in uh, Corinthians that we are to pull down every thought that would what? Be in violation according to the word of God. Every thought that does not line up with the word, we've got to uproot. Why? Because that will produce if we allow it to stay. You know, there's a saying that I've heard many times, and it says that, and it's talking about thoughts, and it says you can't, um, you know, keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. You know, and that's to be said even in when we're talking about peace and and our thought life, because the enemy is going to attack us in that area. Uh, It's one of his greatest weapons against us is to get us and convince us to believe that the thought that we just had was our thought. Not realizing, and I talked about this on Sunday a little bit, really having discernment to realize that that's not just my thought. There's, there's a strategy, and, and, and really the enemy is at work in me trying to get me to grab hold of this thought. And it's a negative thought. It's, it's something that's in violation, and it doesn't agree with God's Word in my life. But when we allow peace... To rule our heart, and really it means that, uh, and I shared this last week, or a couple weeks, I keep saying it, a couple weeks ago, that this peace would dominate. It would be the authority in our heart, you know, and so we have these things, and you know, and so what happens is, and I'm going to paraphrase this, is that when we have God's peace in our heart, it, you know, have you ever tried to like get on your phone, if you have an iPhone, you know, you put in the code, but it's the wrong code, and it goes like, uh-uh, you know what I'm saying? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You try to get on somebody else's computer and they've got it passworded. And so you try to type the password or you try to log into your bank account or you go to pay a bill. That's really frustrating. And you can't log into your account. That's really frustrating. Um, You're like, I know that this is the password. I have one particular account that drives me crazy because every three months they make me change the password. And you can't use a previous one. It's so annoying because I'm like, everything else is the same or similar except for this one dang thing. And it's frustrating because I log in with the right information and they say, you can't move forward until you put a new password in. And it's frustrating. And what happens, and so what are they saying is, that hey, you've been denied access to the information that you want. And it's frustrating. But yet when we would um, allow peace to truly reign in our heart and to watch over our heart, you know, I shared with you previously about Proverbs 4, uh, verse 23, it says to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it is what? The direction, the course of your life. So you've got to watch over it. And the whole uh, thought is this, is that how do you guard your heart? It's by watching your peace level. If you can maintain peace in your life, you will guard your heart. It's one of the, the greatest areas that I think that we miss uh, as believers that the enemy comes into work. So, But what will happen is that when we have God's peace in our heart, because it's not our peace, this is the peace of God, It's part of our inheritance as believers. But what that does is when God's peace is in our heart, it says a big access denied to the enemy. Just like your phone goes, uh-uh, nope, not getting in this phone. 
You know, not getting to this information, not getting onto this website, not getting into that account. I don't care who you are, and I don't care if you get five drops of blood. You've got to have the right password. The peace of God will actually act like that towards the enemy in your life. That thought can come, but it says, no, you can't stay. And so it's immediately this access has been denied to the enemy. And so, you know, I mentioned this a moment ago, but I'll say it again because I think it's important. Uh, you know, many times, and I've had people ask me, like, you know, especially if they've been standing and believing God in a particular area or particular circumstance, how long do I pray? How long do I, you know, um, you know, when do I just kind of say, well, I guess that nothing's going to happen? Uh, you know, and and... This is what I always say, or how do you know when you've prayed enough? People ask me that. Um, you know, how do you know? And, and the only answer I have is when I have peace about it, that's, when I, that, that's what I would consider the release from the Holy Spirit. That once I've settled it in my heart with peace, that, hey, that's kind of, that, that lets me know that, okay, that's where I'm at. And, and so, uh, and really especially in uh, kind of something that was unexpected, and you kind of get rattled a little bit, Pray until peace comes back into its rightful place. Until that moment. And so, you know, just practically, I would say pray until, you, uh, until peace regains its place in your heart, mind, and even your emotions. You know, there have been uh, a number of times where I was very frustrated. Um, you know, with circumstances, situations, not even things necessarily, uh, sometimes things to do with me, sometimes not. And I would just get alone and pray. And I just prayed until... You know, let's just, I can just use this as an example. Um, you know, there was a certain circumstance where someone had not done something to me, but to somebody that I greatly care about. And, um, you know, and so I was very angry about it. Like, that, you know that verse, be angry and sin not? Yeah. I wasn't really hitting that verse. Like, I was just angry and I was probably sinning a little bit. Yeah. And maybe a lot of bit. And, uh, you know, because <laughs> my thoughts were not being, you know, surrounded by peace. They were thoughts of anger and revenge and payback and, you know, all these types of things. And, um, you know, and it was very real. And the problem was I had to preach that night. And, uh, you know, so that kind of is a conflict of interest. And uh, so I thought, and I know better. And, uh, you know, because my thought was I'm going to go take care of the situation. And, uh, you know, and, and but I remember that I knew just in my heart, I was like, I've got to get this settled in my heart before I can ever ask God about ministering tonight or anything, you know, to even be in a place to minister. And I went from being furious, angry, I mean, ready to go get in a physical fight. Like, that was my mindset. Uh, now, this wasn't any time recent, so praise the Lord. And, uh, but, um, but it wasn't that long ago either. I was in Kansas. I was a youth pastor. And, uh, but I was still willing to drive 700 miles to do something about it. So that tells you how mad I really was. And, um, you know, I know none of y'all never have those thoughts. And y'all never struggle with those kinds of things. And... Uh, a baseball bat was sounding really good at the moment, and uh, just being honest with you. But I remember I had to start praying about that circumstance because I knew I don't need to get in the car, and I definitely don't need to drive down there because I'm going to be in jail. I just knew that. I was just like, I, this is not going to end well. And so I started praying. I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know how to pray. You know, what does the Bible say? When you don't know how to pray, what do you do? You pray in the Spirit. You begin to pray in other tongues. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's praying the divine purposes and plans of God. It's the perfect prayer. So when you don't know, pray in the Spirit. And that's what I begin to do. Now, I don't know how long it was. It wasn't quick. I'll say that. But all of a sudden, things begin to change in my heart. And I begin to pray for the one who had brought the offense. And it wasn't from, you know, God strike them down. Just... <laughs> 
that thought rolled through my mind, but that wasn't the prayer, but it was actually from a place of compassion that God, I'm asking you to work in their heart, that I refuse to accept the offense. Well, what happened was before I got my heart right, I had to get peace right in my heart. I had to move away from anger, choose not to hold on to that, and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me in this moment. You know, and that's exactly what happened. And it moved me from a place of of anger and revenge and resentment and frustration into a place of compassion and grace where I could honestly pray for that individual. You know, and but it happened in a moment. But I had to make a priority of God's presence and of really looking to Him to help me in that moment. And so this is possible regardless of what you deal with, regardless of what comes up, no matter your emotions, um, you know, it's possible to actually tap into this because trust me in that moment even in my mind i'm like i should be mad right now i should be and i i would you know almost to the point of justifying like i would be justified if i was angry but i'm not going to i'm not going to let myself slip back into that moment i'm going to stay where the peace of god is and that's important for us and so um you know so we have to pray until we can regain that place if your heart's going to be guarded by peace, you're going to have to stay in a place. And, and to, or let me say it this way. You're going to have to get to the place where you can pray until you can find some peace. Because it's really hard to hear from the Lord when you're angry. It's really hard to hear from the Lord when you're upset. God works in peace. The devil works in chaos. And that's the way they work. And so when, when we're out of control, God is not working. And we're not really open to hear from him. But the enemy speaking in those moments. And yet, if, but if we can use our spiritual weapons, which, you know, we, we're starting to talk about on Sundays, um, you know, the armor of God. You know, there are some things that we can do. There are some resources that we have uh, that God has given us. And one of those is prayer. One of these is peace. And so, um, you know, and it's important to know as well is that um, peace isn't something that we're trying to get. It's as much yours as salvation is. You have it right now. I mean, uh, it, it's already been guaranteed to us. And we'll look at a verse here in just a moment about this. Um, you know, where Jesus promises, hey, I'm going to give you my peace. You have my peace. I give it to you. We'll look at that in just a moment. But, you know, one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is what? It, it's, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, and patience. The evidence that the Holy Spirit is, you know, there's nine fruit of the Spirit. But, you know... Um, the evidence that the Holy Spirit is actually working in our life is that we can actually be calm, cool, and collected even in the midst of not so favorable situations and circumstances. Why? Because it's a peace that goes past all understanding. It's not natural. It goes beyond all natural, and it's the work of God in our life. And so if the enemy comes and gets our peace, he's winning. We've got to guard our heart, and we've got to do that by making a priority of peace in our life. And so if we get to a place where we're losing our peace, the first thing we need to do is to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Holy Spirit, you said, or the Word of God promises me, that, the, that your work in my life would produce peace. It would produce peace if I would submit my heart to you. So, Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. That's what that word submit means. Surrender. I'm done. I'm done running. Holy Spirit, I can't do nothing about this, but I need you to do something in my heart right now. And it doesn't have to take a long time, but it does have to take a willingness and a, and a, a, a humble heart to receive from the Lord and to, and to receive help from Him. So, over in John chapter 14, I, I referenced this verse just a moment ago. John chapter 14 
Verse 27, I'm going to read this out of the what's called the classic Amplified Bible. Now, but it's the same word. Everywhere in the New Testament, it's the same. Every time you see peace, it's actually the same Greek word as well. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Uh, but Jesus makes the statement to the disciples. Um, now, let me kind of give some context. to Jesus just gave them some bad news. He says, guys, I'm leaving. Be comforted, the Holy Spirit's coming. I know y'all don't know the Holy Spirit, but He's coming. And, uh, you know, and so, but He says on the heels of that, He says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. Now, the Amplified Bible adds this, and I love the way that it says it. It says, My own peace I now give and bequeath to you. So the very same peace that Jesus walked in, when people were trying to stone Him, and He walked right through the middle of the crowd, when He was hanging on the cross, And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That same peace is ours. Now, I don't know about you. I don't always walk in that peace. But I want to. And I want to stay in a better place where, you know, I I, I can recognize when the enemy's at work and, and really trying to rob me of my peace. But yet Jesus says here that not only was he going to leave, but he says that I give it to you as a gift. One of the gifts that Christ gave to us through salvation is the gift of peace. The, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, yes, but there's the peace that only the Holy Spirit can bring. And he says, he goes on, he says, not as the world gives do I give to you. And he says, because I give you my peace. Now I'm adding to this just for clarity, but he says, because I've given you my peace, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Because you have peace, don't let your heart get troubled. Guard your heart. Don't let fear come into your heart. So pay attention. When fear comes, peace is gone. When peace comes, fear goes. So we want to maintain peace. The Amplified adds at the end of verse 27, he says, stop allowing yourself to be agitated and disturbed and do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated, cowardly and unsettled. Don't let the enemy push you around. That's My version of that, short and sweet. Don't permit yourself to be fearful. Why? Well, the Bible says God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. If you get in a moment where your peace is being, you need to go to that verse. I thank you, Father, that you've given me a spirit that is peaceful, that is quiet. And I have soundness of mind. I don't have chaos going on in here. I have peace that rules my heart and rules my emotions. Now, the the new version of the Amplified Bible I want to read as well because it says some things a little differently. But in verse 27, it says, Peace I leave with you, my perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. I really like that version. Unfortunately, we don't have it to put up on the screen. They don't have it on there yet. I'm going to have to call them about that. I love that last part. It says, let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. Give you courage and strength for every challenge. Now, this word here, uh, peace... In the Greek, it's actually a word. I'm, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a good college try here. I believe it's arena is how that believe. From what I best I can figure out, that's how it's supposed to be said. So, but this is what it means. When and now this is the same word 
Everywhere in the New Testament, there's one Greek word for peace. Now, you know, that's not typical with the Greek. They were much more elaborate in their language. For love, we have one word. They had four. All that. One word for peace in the entire New Testament. It's this word. And this is what it means. It says that it's an inner stability. It says that it results in the ability to conduct oneself peacefully. The ability to, to conduct yourself peacefully. I, I like this one as well, this definition. It says it's the rule of order in the place of chaos. If you've got some things going on in your life and things are kind of going crazy, you need the, how does it say that? The rule of order. The rule of order. There is something that is in charge. That goes back to having dominion. You know, I shared about that previous uh, message about that. Is that peace is actually a dominating factor in our life. And it's to rule our heart. It's to rule our mind. It's to rule our emotions. Now, I thought this was interesting as well when it talks about this peace. It says, the person who possesses peace, or this particular word... Is whole and complete and orderly, stable, and I like this last part, it says poised for blessing. I thought that was very interesting. I was like, that's not what I would have thought would be added. That when I walk in peace and I allow the peace of God, it actually puts me in a place for the blessings of God to flow and to continue to flow in my life. That God says, I can continue to work in, in our life. So what, but what that tells me is the opposite. When I don't walk in peace, it actually inhibits God's ability in my life. It actually hinders the Holy Spirit from working. Why? Because God's blessings are always for our good. Well, I don't want to stop God's blessings in my life. I want to make sure that I've made a four-lane highway that's wide open for God's blessings to flow through. So if I'm going to do that by walking in peace, then hey, that's what I want to do. And I would encourage you, that's what you want to do as well. Now, you know, the same word here, with the Greek word of peace is very, uh, it's actually the equivalent in the Old Testament, which was Hebrew, which this is a word that many of you will recognize the moment that I say it, is shalom. You know, I mean, God revealed himself to Gideon as what? He says, I am Jehovah Shalom. He didn't just say that I am the God of peace. He said, I am the God, that I am the, or the Lord God is peace. Jehovah simply means the Lord God is peace. You know, it's kind of like when we say, well, you know, um, that God isn't just love. He, or it, he doesn't just have love. He is love. Well, it's the same is true for peace. He doesn't just have peace. And Jesus didn't just, um, you know, say, well, I'm going to give you some peace. He says, look, you actually as a the God that we serve is a God of peace. He's a God of order. He's a, he's a, a, a father to us who would come alongside of us. Now, this one here is, is pretty similar in definition, but it, it means this, uh, the word shalom. Well, I'm going to read you a couple parts here. Uh, it indicates that this dominating peace ultimately gives rise to the prosperity in one's soul. So, as it said here uh, in a moment, that it would you be poised for blessing. Here it says that it's the prosperity in one's soul. It says, rather than allowing the difficulties and the pressures of life to break him, a person who is possessed with peace or shalom, is whole, complete, orderly, stable, and poised for blessing. Sorry, I read that one again. Let me go back. This is shalom. It says, uh, says that this person is calm, has inner stability that results in the ability to conduct himself peacefully, even in the midst of circumstances that would normally be very nerve-wracking, traumatic, or upsetting. 
That's what shalom means. Things that would normally rattle your cage when shalom is happening in your heart. There's, there's, an unsettling, there's no unsettling. It's, it's, there's a calming and a setting down. It doesn't mean the circumstances change. But I am taking care of what's happening on the inside of me. And I'm not going to let the devil wreak havoc in my life. Because I'm not paying attention to my own heart. And so this is important, you know, even for us. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes, I've kind of laid a little groundwork. But, you know, I think, you know, for me, I like to listen to people who have been through some stuff. Because I don't like, you know, I don't like listening to people who haven't really, you know, it's like, like, I'll just give you an example. I've never had surgery on my body. I mean, the worst thing I've ever had done is my wisdom teeth out. So I guess technically that's oral surgery, but nothing... I can't really tell you what it's like to get a knee replaced or to break an arm or this. Why? Because I haven't done it. I've never been through that. So I don't, you know, and so this is what I call people with theories. I don't like listening to people with theories. I don't want a mechanic who has theories. I want a mechanic who has experience. Why? Because that's much more beneficial. I don't want a doctor, you know, no offense. I don't want a doctor or a nurse who's still in school. I would much rather say, hey... Who's the guy or girl with 20 years of experience? Because theory works on paper, but that doesn't work in the real world. You know, and, uh, and so I want somebody who has actually learned some lessons and said, hey, there's a reason why they say don't do that. Or I know they tell you to do this, but that's not the right way to do that. <laughs> that's going to get you hurt. You need to do it this way. And, uh, you know, and, and so I always like to learn from people that I call are battle tested and they made it through. I don't like learning from people who have been through it and they're still in it. Come see me when you get out of it. I want to hear the happy ending. I, I want to hear how you got through. I don't want to know that you're in the middle. And so I look to people who have, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this. They may have some scars, but they made it through. They've walked through on the other side and even... Uh, you know, Paul is the apostle Paul was the one who wrote uh, Philippians chapter four, kind of our, our launching verse, if you will. But you know, I don't know other than Christ Himself if there's anybody else who embodies, who can really accurately and credibly talk about this other than than the apostle Paul. Why? Because he went through it. I mean, Jesus had his own. Uh, you know, obviously walked through a lot of things as well. But the apostle Paul had some challenges. And he wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't perfect. We know that. But, you know, but he walked through a lot of things. And so I want to, uh, before I, I want to show you an example of how he actually walked this out in his life. But before, I'm, in case uh, you may be here and don't know some of his trials or struggles, I'm going to share some with you. So this comes out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 24, the second part of the verse. Oh, wait. 23. Starting in verse 23. Sorry, Brooke. It's okay. You don't have to put it up there. I didn't put it on my notes right. He says, uh, so he picks up and he's kind of, uh, let me say, this is kind of his resume of why he's qualified to preach the gospel, basically, uh, in some ways. But he, he, So he starts talking, he says, I have worked harder and been in prison more often and been whipped times without number and have faced death time and time again. It already sounds pretty bad. Like we got through one verse and it already sounds pretty bad. So now he starts to break it down. He says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. 
Jesus was whipped with a cat of nine tails. Paul had that done five times. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. You know, they actually call it caning today. They still do it in parts of the world. They get these big, long bamboo canes, about eight to ten feet long, and they do it. I've actually saw how they did it. It was pretty, you know. It was so hard that it would crush bone. It didn't just break bone, it crushes. I mean, it's very painful. And some people would actually lay people on their backs and put their feet up and hit the bottoms of their feet. I mean, this is some of the, I know it's, you know. Yeah, it's very barbaric. But that, so some of this could actually be some of that. So it says three times he was beaten with rods. Once I'd been stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. I mean, getting struck by lightning is bad enough. That's pretty rare. I don't know about being shipwrecked three times. He says once I spent a whole night and a day adrift in the sea. You ever seen a, oh, what was that? Castaway, Tom Hanks, like out there floating on a board? A day and a half, he floated out in the sea. Verse 26, he says, I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities and the deserts and the seas. I don't know where else there is to go. Uh, At this point, I guess... Try to get in the air. I don't know because everything else he said, he's faced danger everywhere. He says, I've uh, faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without even enough clothing to keep me warm. I've had some problems, not like Paul's. I've not faced some of those things. And why do I share that with you? Because I want you to hear what he says in response to this to the Corinthian church as well. This is back in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Picking up in verse 7. He says, we now have this light, talking about the light of the gospel, the light of Christ in our hearts. He says, but we are like um, fragile clay containing this great treasure. He says, this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. So you could even say, let me, let me kind of reword it because it's not taking anything away. But you, say, you could say it like this. Is that it, this makes it clear that our great peace is from God and not from ourselves. In spite of all the things I just told you. This great power, peace is powerful. There's a great power with peace. You know, I mean, people think of that, that Jesus is the prince of peace. And that means that he's somehow docile or, or calm or late. I don't know, but he still is a conquering king. He still is a warrior. He's not coming back with a whistle like a referee going, okay, y'all cut it out now. The Bible says he's coming back with a shout and an army. He's coming back on a, with a sword. I mean, so the Prince of Peace may not look quite like you maybe think it does. But Paul says that this great power, this great peace is not from us or not, not, is from God, not of ourselves. And then he says in verse 8, he says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, by troubles but we are not crushed. See, there's, there's something happening here. Paul is acknowledging that, look, I've got some problems, but I'm not allowing them to crush me. He says we're perplexed. Now, that word perplexed means this, that you see no way out. Here's my situation. There's no way out of this. 
It says, we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Just because you don't know what to do doesn't mean you should go to despair. It means you need to go to find your peace and say, God, I am looking to you, that you're the God who makes a way where there seems to be no way, that you're the one who opens a door that seems impossible to be opened. Verse 9, he goes on, he says, We are hunted down, but are never abandoned. Other translations say that we're, being, that we're hunted down, but we're never left alone. He says, We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. He says, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Christ may also be seen in our bodies. Now, I want to show you a specific moment of time in Paul's life where he actually shows us what this looks like practically. Now, Paul, in his life, he was on his way to go stand before Caesar. That was what the Lord had told him. And I'm not going to read all of it, uh, but we are going to read a decent portion of Scripture. You can turn with me to Acts 27. Acts chapter 27, uh, and we're going to read a story, uh, a portion of a story here where the Apostle Paul actually shows us what it's like to live in peace with a heart that's really guarded by peace. And and so Paul is on his way, uh, really sailing for Rome, and he's going to see Caesar, which is what he knew the call of God ultimately was on his life, was to stand before uh, Caesar and basically proclaim the gospel to him. Uh, But he's a prisoner. At this point. And so he's being taken, if you will, against his will, although he knows that's where God's... T- you know, you understand what I'm saying by that. He knows that the Lord is the one taking him, but he's not leading himself there. He's a prisoner. He's in chains. And so they, you know, they put him in a boat. In verse 13 of Acts 27, it says, When a light wind began to blow, or began blowing from the south, the sailors thought that they could make it. So basically, they were in port, and they said, the winter's bad. We don't need to go out. But then, you know, it's kind of like today and yesterday. Like we thought summer was here and all of a sudden we get this little break. And we're like, oh, summer's coming though. I mean, if you know that, heat's coming. Well, kind of the same situation except they're in wintertime. They thought, oh, we've got a window of opportunity. Let's go. So they jumped. So they pulled the anchor up and they sailed close to the shore of Crete. Now, let me tell you, before they ever untied, Paul said, hey, guys, we don't need to go anywhere. This is not going to go well. The Lord has told me. And so Paul, a prisoner, is saying, Captain, you ought to listen to me. This is going to be bad. Well, Paul, you're a prisoner. Why should we listen to you? So they see their window of opportunity and they go. It says, but the weather changed abruptly. You ever had a situation change abruptly? I thought this was going to go like A, B, and C. And it abruptly changed. It says that the wind of a typhoon string called a nor'easter burst uh, across the island and blew us out to sea. It says the sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. So in other words, they quit trying to tell the ship where they were going and just said, we're going wherever this thing takes us. They were out of control completely, um, really out of all control. So in verse 16, it says that uh, the storm actually caused them to sail along uh, the sheltered side of the small island named uh, Caudia, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat uh, that we'd been towing behind us. So they couldn't even get the little dinghy from behind in the boat very well. They're, they're fighting just to get it in. It says, then the sailors 
bound ropes around the whole of the ship to strengthen it. It says they were afraid of being driven across uh, the sandbars of uh, Sirtis uh, off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. So it's a pretty desperate situation. I mean, they're, they're literally taking ropes and wrapping the boat, trying to keep it in one piece. They're throwing the anchor not to hold them, to just to slow them down. <clears throat> they're like, let's do anything we can. <clears throat> Verse 18, it says, The next day a gale force wind <clears throat> continued to batter the ship, and uh, the crew began throwing their cargo. So they began throwing their luggage. The stuff that they had that they were taking from port to port, they began to say, hey, this ain't our stuff. Let's get it off the boat before we sink. So that was that day. And then the following day, they took even more stuff of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. Now, that was their ability to really, uh, that that would include their food, that would include their rations, that would include their abilities. Like if they had an extra sail, they were throwing it over. They were trying to get rid of everything. And it says, the terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Now, that's a key phrase. They are at despair. They're like, look, we ain't got a paddle to row with. We ain't got a sail to sail with. We have no food. All hope was gone. In other words, we're all going to die. That's where they were at. Paul, you were right. We should have listened to you. Verse 21, it says that no one had eaten for a long time. So to make matters worse, everybody's hungry. Everybody's hungry. And, And Paul calls the crew together and says, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. Thank you so much, Paul. Appreciate that. He says, You would have avoided all of this damage and loss. And here's a fascinating statement. Remember, verse 20. At last, all hope was gone. They're in absolute despair. Verse 22, Paul says, but take courage. Paul, are you delusional? Do you have some food and a backup plan that we're unaware of? You remember that boat that they brought on board? They done thrown it aside too. They don't have an exit strategy. He tells me, he says, hey, take courage. none of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. He says, "For, uh, for last night, an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So that Paul gets a word from God concerning him. And God in his goodness says, I'm going to save everybody who's with you as well. When they had no other option, when there was no other way out, Paul was speaking from a place of peace. Think about Jesus laying in the boat asleep while the other disciples are freaking out saying, we're going to drown. And they're like, Jesus, don't you even care? What did Jesus do? He got up and spoke to the storm. They were all afraid of the storm. He spoke to the storm. Sometimes you're going to have to speak to your storms. Now, not just from your natural place. Why could Jesus look at a storm in the natural, a natural physical storm, and demand peace to come on those waters? Because he had peace on the inside of him. It was a supernatural peace. 
There was a confidence in him. A sureness in him. And so you, let me say, you can't transmit what you don't have. Jesus could demand peace because he had it. We can demand peace when we have it. So we've got to get to that place in prayer where, hey, I've got peace so that now I can begin to speak to my storms. You can call it your Goliath. You can call it whatever you want. But at some point, you might have to step into it and begin to speak the word of God and the promises of God over your circumstances. To bring it up. But it comes from that place of peace. Paul is in that moment right now. All hope is gone. And he's telling these guys, take courage. The God that I serve gave me a word last night concerning me and you. He says, you're going to make it. I love this. So he says, verse 25, so take courage for I believe God. I believe God more than I believe this storm. I believe God more than my stomach telling me I'm going to starve. I believe God that this ship will not, um, you know, I will not die in this ship. This ship may go down, but I will not. I believe God. You've got to be able to get yourself to a place of believing in God. And that's only going to be able to, to, to happen when you have peace. God, I don't care that the boat's rocking. I don't care that it's shaking. I don't care how big the waves are. I believe in God. And it's important that you get a word from God in those moments. Paul got a word from God, and because he got a word from God, he got some peace. It doesn't say that Paul had peace the entire journey. But an angel showed up with what? A word from God. In the midst of a storm, what you need is not to get it necessarily fixed. You need a word from God. You need the wisdom of God in every moment and in every situation. Why? Because that gives you the faith to declare, I believe in God. The ship may go down, but I'm not going down. Because there's a peace in my heart. So he tells them, he says, take courage for I believe God. It will be just as he said. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. He goes, guys, you're going to make it, but I got some more bad news. We're going to end up on an island. But at least we're not going to be floating in the ocean. Now the end of the story is Paul made it to Rome. That was the end of his story. He made it to Rome, stood before Caesar, exactly how God had said. What if Paul had just given in and just said, all hope's gone. I'm in despair. I don't care that an angel showed up and gave me a word from God. It doesn't matter. I'm going to die. God, you have failed me. No, he allowed peace to rule his heart, regardless of the circumstances. And not only did he use that for him, but he actually took that peace and now actually began to use it to help other people. Paul took his peace and became stability for those around him. His peace brought strength to everybody. He became their anchor. He became the guy that everybody was looking at. A prisoner is now the guy in charge. He's the one that everybody else is looking to. And, and even in the midst, and you may serve for this even in your family. You may serve, or let me say, you may be in a family that there may not be a lot of believers in. You may be around a lot of people. You may be in a work environment where there's not a lot of believers. You can be the anchor in the midst of that environment. That God would use you in that moment to bring some peace, to bring some stability to. God wants to use you in the midst of that moment. 
And yet we just want to hit the eject button sometimes. <laughs> like, you know, like those pilots, you hit the eject button on a plane, they... And God said, hey, I've got you there because you're bringing something that nobody else has. There's peace that you have that other people need. And that might be in your family. And it would be a testimony to your family. When everybody else is freaking out, you're the steady hand that can come in and to bring wisdom and strength. And you can actually give that to those people you're around. Same thing in a work environment, in your house, in your home. I mean, you know, I've mentioned this a few times previously, but if you want to have peace in your home, you've got to get it in you first. I mean, I've said this statement many times. It's one of my favorite sayings. That God wants to do something great through you, but he first needs to do something great in you. If you want God to do it through you, it's got to happen in you first. Don't ask God to use you to do something you've not allowed God to do in you. Why? Because you've got to be credible. It goes back to that, hey, I've been through something, but I've had God work in my life. I've had God work in my heart. And the same God that did worked in my life, I believe in God. And I believe that He will do for you what He's done for me. God saw me through this moment. And so we see this in the life of Paul. He writes and tells us that if we would simply keep our focus and to pray and to focus on the Lord, what would happen? That we would have overwhelming peace. Unnatural all surpassing the peace of God. And it says that it would guard our hearts, it would guard our minds, it would guard our emotions. In other words, it keeps me in check. But I have to be willing to submit to that. And I can't let the enemy steal from me. I mean, we all know the devil's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal our peace. Why? Because that's... That's God's protection in our life. That's the, you know, it's really, uh, this, it's kind of the first line of defense that God has given us. Well, we don't, you know, if we can keep our first defense in place, we can stay safe. And this is something that God has given us. We're not trying to find peace. We have peace. Jesus, John 14, 27, my peace I give to you. The newer version of says, my perfect peace I give to you. You're not searching for peace, looking for peace. It's already on the inside of you. It's already there. That stability is already in your life. It's already in you. For what purpose? So that the Holy Spirit can work in your heart. So the Holy Spirit can work through you. So the Holy Spirit can work to, in those around you as well. And it's important that we see that and we understand it. Because we can actually stop the work of the enemy by guarding our peace and guarding our heart. I want to read you one last verse as we wrap up. And this is Paul's prayer over a church, over a group of believers. And so I'm going to read this as he did. Or is how he wrote it. And then I'm going to pray over you tonight. And we'll be dismissed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 16. This is out of the Amplified Bible. Paul writes and says. Now may the God of peace himself. Grant you his peace. 
at all times and in every way. That peace and spiritual well-being that comes to those who walk with Him regardless of life circumstances. The Lord be with you all. I'm going to read it again because it's just that good. It blessed me today as I was going back over some of this. It says, Now may the Lord of peace Himself grant you His peace at all times and in every way. That peace and spiritual well-being that comes to those who walk with Him regardless of life circumstances. The Lord be with you always. You're never alone. The God of all peace is with you. To strengthen you, to bring stability into your mind, into your thoughts, into your emotional realm. The peace of God will guard your life. But you've got to make it a priority. Don't let the enemy come and steal it from you. How do I know I have peace? Is God with you? If, if, if God is with you, you have, you have the ability to walk in peace. Amen.